Thank you for watching NTD Business Top Stories tonight. The CDC says that Pfizer vaccines could be linked to strokes in older adults, though the agency hasn't recommended any change in vaccination practice. The World Economic Forum kicking off its annual meeting amid backlash for its anti-fossil fuel agenda. And the United States on the verge of reaching its debt limit this week. What could it mean for financial markets? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here. Pfizer's updated COVID-19 shot is potentially linked to brain strokes. This according to U.S. health authorities. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the Food and Drug Administration issued a statement on Friday. It said that a possible safety issue had been found in which people 65 and older were more likely to have an ischemic stroke 21 days after receiving the Pfizer-BioNTech shot. An ischemic stroke is caused by blockages in arteries that carry blood to the brain. According to a near-real-time CDC monitoring system of vaccination data, strokes happened at a high enough rate to warrant investigation. The CDC said that this particular safety issue has not been identified with the Moderna COVID-19 shot. Pfizer and BioNTech said in a statement that they have been made aware of reports of ischemic strokes. In light of this, Kathy McMorris-Rogers, the chair of the House Energy and Commerce Committee, has called for an investigation. As health concerns about the vaccines grow, more and more doctors are calling for the suspending of the mRNA shots made by Pfizer and Moderna. Here's British cardiologist Asim Maotra and Professor Abdul Gadder, the president of the International Congress for Advanced Cardiac Sciences. COVID mRNA vaccines do carry a cardiovascular risk. And um, I've actually called for the suspension of this pending an inquiry because there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment about what's causing the excess deaths. In the view of the cardiovascular complications of this type of vaccination, I think this type of vaccine should be suspended until it is fully investigated. The Pfizer and Moderna vaccines have been confirmed to cause multiple side effects, including myocarditis, a form of heart inflammation. The CDC website says that when myocarditis is reported, the cases have been usually found in teens and young adult males, usually within a week after vaccination. Emergency physician and clinical scientist Dr. Joseph Freeman questions whether the benefits of the vaccine outweigh the potential dangers. Given now the Omicron variant is less virulent and is able to evade much of the protection offered by the vaccines, this creates a situation where the benefits of the vaccine have been dramatically reduced in, for hospitalization and, and death. Given the information, the messenger RNA vaccines need to be withdrawn from the market until new randomized controlled trials can clearly demonstrate the benefits of the vaccine outweigh the serious harm we now know the vaccines are causing. The CDC, in fact, has flagged hundreds of possible safety concerns for both the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines in the past. This is according to monitoring results obtained by the Epoch Times. 274 reports of ischemic strokes after Pfizer vaccinations have been reported as of late last year. And moving on, the FAA meltdown that led to the first full ground stop of U.S. air travel since 9-11 now has lawmakers demanding answers. And it comes on the heels of the Southwest Airlines disruption that thwarted holiday travel for thousands of passengers. What's going on with U.S. air travel and can passengers still trust their itinerary to go from point A to point B? Here's the latest. 
Dozens of lawmakers on both sides of the aisle demanding more answers in a letter to Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg on Friday concern the FAA technology issues that led to the disruption of thousands of U.S. flights last week could run deeper. We've been able to make some major gains in terms of accountability for airlines uh, when it comes to their customer service. We equally have to make sure that FAA has the systems, the staffing, uh, and the operations that it needs. The FAA meltdown on the heels of the Southwest Airlines holiday debacle that canceled thousands of flights. Despite the recent headlines, Katie Nastro, travel expert for Going, says the majority of flights are getting from point A to point B on time. But passengers can prepare to be their own troubleshooters. Sometimes things happen, you know, having that flexibility and just being prepared with a backup plan is never a bad idea. That begins with reading the fine print on a ticket. There are controllable disruptions. That's things within the airline's control that they can manage, like a staffing issue, like a software issue internally. And then there are uncontrollables, like the weather and air traffic control, which is an entirely other separate entity from airlines. That distinction will determine your compensation from an airline. Nastro also recommends non-stop flights to reduce the chance of disruption and early morning flights to avoid the domino effect of disruptions to a flight schedule like the FAA stop last week. And Southwest is taking steps to restore its reputation after the operational disaster from just a few weeks, weeks ago. CEO Bob Jordan sent an internal memo to employees obtained by NTD called The Path Forward. We have more on that in just a moment. But first, some background. Back in late December, a large winter storm prevented many airlines from flying. But while other airlines rebounded very quickly, Southwest canceled over 16,000 flights. Over the course of three days, Southwest had to cancel 63 to 72 percent of its flights. Now, in comparison, other major airlines like Delta, American and United had to cancel only around one to six percent. On one day, Delta did have to cancel about nine percent, but that's an outlier, still quite far from the 72 percent. Thousands were stranded right before New Year's. Southwest shareholders have sued the firm, accusing it of hiding its problematic computer systems. The disaster even caught the attention of government regulators. A Senate hearing has been planned. So Southwest CEO Bob Jordan has quite the hole to dig his company out of. In his internal company memo, he shared with his employees a quick overview of the work they're doing. Some key items are Southwest hiring consulting firm Oliver Wyman to address the situation. We reached out to Oliver Wyman, but it declined to comment. Southwest also created an operations review committee, which will guide Southwest's response for the next few months. Southwest may also spend over $1 billion this year to upgrade its systems. And we spoke with Evan Neerman, the CEO of Red Banyan. His firm guides companies through public relations crises, such as the one Southwest is going through right now. Neerman deals with over 100 incidents a year, and he has clients in every industry. Neerman says Southwest is actually doing a good job communicating with the public. Uncommon situations require an uncommon amount of response. The key for Southwest moving forward is to pair action with clear, concise communication about the steps that they're taking. Part of what got them into trouble during the midst of their meltdown in December was that they weren't viewed as being forthright or honest about what was actually taking place. 
Nierman believes Southwest is now communicating far more transparently. In fact, he even flew on Southwest just a few days ago. He witnessed this transparency firsthand on his flight. What I noticed was one of the flight attendants thanked us at the conclusion of the flight and mentioned some of the challenges that Southwest has experienced. That kind of transparency, willing to talk about the elephant in the room, is really important. And I think it positioned the airline appropriately, at least in my mind as a customer. It let me know Southwest isn't just pretending like it didn't happen. They're accepting responsibility. As a customer, Nierman had no qualms about getting on a Southwest flight, as long as the airline is taking action to address its problem. He believes that if Southwest continues to provide high-quality service and avoids mass flight cancellations, it will be able to overcome this crisis. And moving on, the U.S. is projected to reach its debt limit Thursday. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is warning that extraordinary measures will be needed to avoid a default. She's calling on Congress to act to raise the debt ceiling. In this next story, we take a look at the impact this could have on millions of Americans. The clock is now ticking down to what economists say could be financial Armageddon. Good afternoon. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen issuing a warning to Congress, saying the U.S. government will hit its debt limit. She's urging lawmakers to act very soon to either suspend or raise the debt limit. A breach of the debt limit would be catastrophic to the financial system and the economy. Economist Mark Sandy warning this could lead to chaos in the financial markets. The debt limit is the total amount of money the U.S. government is allowed to legally borrow to pay for its existing obligations, including Social Security and Medicare payments, military salaries, interest on the national debt, tax refunds, and payments to federal workers. If I was a postal worker, if if I was a federal employee that's going to see my pension, uh, you know, put on hold for for at least the foreseeable future, I'd be really angry. If there's no action from Congress, Yellen says extraordinary measures will have to be implemented to limit the impact and buy them some time. That means the federal government would need to shift money around to keep paying interest on treasuries, including delaying several other payments that millions of Americans count on. The debt ceiling debate setting up one of the first major battles on Capitol Hill after Republicans took control of the House. On Friday, the White House said it will not offer any concessions or negotiate on raising the debt ceiling. It's not, it's not and should not be a political football. Right now, the debt limit stands at $31 trillion. And the World Economic Forum's annual meeting kicked off today in Davos, Switzerland. This year has a record turnout, including government officials, central bankers, and 600 CEOs from the world's largest corporations. This year's agenda includes doubling down on the transition to renewable energy, codifying environmental, social, and governance standards, or ESG, and creating more social and green jobs. But the WEF's global ambitions could be on the line because its ESG push is facing challenges, especially in the United States. Conservative states are pushing back with anti-ESG legislation, boycotts, and lawsuits. It seems people are feeling the impact of ESG. Efforts against fossil fuels have led to shortages and price hikes across other industries. The WEF's managing director said these issues have put the ESG agenda on defense. 
But the group still stands behind its push toward renewables, saying it thinks the top four most severe risks in the next decade are all environmental. Event participants have come under criticism for pushing the climate change agenda while not undertaking any actions to rein in their own excessive emissions. A recent report by Greenpeace, the environmental organization, found that during last year's Davos meeting, over 1,000 private jets flew in and out. This pushing carbon emissions from private jets to four times their normal level. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is set to meet with Chinese Vice Premier Liu He in Switzerland on the sidelines of the World Economic Forum. The two officials are expected to discuss economic developments on Wednesday and deepen communication between the two countries. NTD's Colin Fredrickson has more. According to a Treasury official, they'll also cover global challenges, like the possibility of a world recession, the corresponding risks, and how to boost cooperation. The in-person talks come as U.S.-Beijing relations remain tense, despite their trade ties. Washington has blocked the sale of advanced computer chips to China and is considering a ban on investment in some Chinese tech companies. What's more, Beijing's threats to invade Taiwan have proven another point of conflict. The U.S. has said it would defend the island in that situation. Yellen has also criticized China's financing practices on the African continent, calling them economic practices that have disadvantaged all of us. Likewise, she's called on Beijing to end its relationship with Russia as its invasion of Ukraine continues. The Yellen-Leo meeting is part of a joint pledge to work on easing that strain following President Biden's November talks with Chinese leader Xi Jinping. They spoke alongside the G20 summit in Indonesia. Yellen does not plan to attend the World Economic Forum. Other senior U.S. officials will represent Washington instead, including Trade Representative Catherine Tai and Climate Envoy John Kerry. And China has released new figures on COVID-related deaths. They say close to 60,000 people have died in hospitals since the end of the zero-COVID policy. The policy was dismantled in early December, but many experts are skeptical of the country's official data. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more. China's official numbers are a big increase over their previously reported figures. But many experts are criticizing the country's lack of transparency around the pandemic and think the numbers have been widely understated. The World Health Organization says China heavily underreports COVID deaths. Authorities there had been reporting five or fewer deaths a day over the past month. China previously claimed to have one of the lowest death rates in the world, with just over 5,000 deaths since the pandemic began. These figures are inconsistent with the long lines seen at funeral homes and body bags seen leaving crowded hospitals. It's also a stark contrast to the U.S., where the numbers are 800 times higher. China recently changed the way it records COVID-related deaths to include only those that die from respiratory failure or pneumonia after testing positive. Airfinity, a UK-based health analytics company, estimates new cases to be around 3 million a day and close to 20,000 deaths every day. It estimates China has had over 44 million cases since December 1st. They say China likely saw its first peak of new infections last week, with around 3.7 million cases in one day. The company expects daily deaths to reach 25,000 in the coming weeks. Airfinity says it bases its estimates on data from China's regional provinces before the recent changes to China's reporting system. The analytics company combines this data with case growth rates from countries with strict lockdown measures like Hong Kong and Japan when they first lifted restrictions. 
A second peak is expected in early March, with daily cases predicted to climb to 4.2 million a day. A study by Peking University found some 900 million people in China have been infected. That would mean 64% of the country's population have carried or are carrying the virus. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The upcoming Lunar New Year is expected to add to the spread because many people travel to visit family during the holiday. Taking a break now, but if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. Still to come, NTD's Char Marshall takes us to the National Retail Show in New York City to check out the latest innovations. And an iconic jersey from NBA legend Kobe Bryant is up for auction. How much could it get? That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. The National Retail Show opened in New York over the weekend. It's a huge event featuring the latest retail solutions and innovations, along with events, parties, workshops, and more. Here's NTD's Shar Marshall with the highlights. I attended NRF 2023, retail's big show in New York City, hosted by the National Retail Federation. Just about every type of retail business-related information can be found here. And you can make contacts in almost every industry you can imagine across four large floor areas. There you go. Now you're fully in frame. On the innovation floor, a hologram box is beaming in their spokesperson from Los Angeles Live. I talked with Garana Seely about the box. What you see here is called Capsule. It's our newest technology um, that is created for the retail sector. And uh, Capsule really is a new way of, of marketing and doing events at store level. It is a, a 3D hologram that really is um, has a great advantage over a, a, 2D, a 2D digital screen. Do you have any examples of any, uh, I guess, celebrities or events? Uh, people at home might recognize? Absolutely. So just recently, we had uh, the pleasure of beaming in President Zelensky into a Founders Forum, um, a technology forum, where he um, basically spoke to the, the audience about how to help them rebuild Ukraine after, you know, the invasion of Russia, so the Russian invasion. CEOs from major companies were conducting off-site store tours and speaking about their industries and retail business in general. Also on the innovation floor, I interviewed the CEO of BioWith about their business that connects social media influencers with retail product sites and customers live. So we're BioWith, we developed a live shopping platform. We could add a social commerce layer to any e-commerce website in the world and eventually enable influencers, brand experts, and celebrities to host live shopping events directly on the e-commerce site with thousands of viewers. Biowith created their own community, so creators can bypass the expensive fees of agencies. So uh, the momentum right now is in America and in Europe and in other countries that are not China. Because in China it's already booming, right? It's $500 billion in sales a year, only live shopping. So now a lot of brands from Europe, from the U.S. are tuning into this trend because they understand it's the future of e-commerce. And we see the creator aspect as the best angle for live commerce in the U.S. The National Retail Federation has represented retail for over a century. The event will finish on Tuesday. Sean Marshall, NTD News. Big names like GM, Ford and Google say they want to work together to establish standards for scaling up the use of virtual power plants. 
They're positioned for explosive growth in the United States and could help balance the supply and demand of energy. Emma Jail reports. They're being billed as a cleaner and greener way to avoid blackouts. And they could be one solution to a looming global energy crisis. But what are virtual power plants? And why are companies like Google and GM getting involved? Virtual power plants, or VPPs, are pools of decentralized energy resources. Resources like electric vehicles or electric heaters controlled by smart thermostats. The VPPs will, with permission from customers, use advanced software to react to electricity shortages by backing off the consumption of those resources. It'll use techniques like switching thousands of EVs from charge to discharge mode, or prompt electrical heaters to lower their output. The goal is to back off on unnecessary energy consumption to ease loads on electricity grids when supply is short and avoid disaster. We've seen on display over the last few years significant existential threats to the reliability and resilience of our power system in the United States with blackouts in Texas, blackouts across the eastern interconnection. We have a reliability crisis in this country and we need every tool at our disposal, including virtual power plants, to help address it. RMI will be hosting a new initiative known as the Virtual Power Plant Partnership, or VP3. It'll be working with big names like GM, Ford, and Google, who say they want to establish standards for scaling up the usage of VPPs together. Each of our partners, each of our members, has their own business around virtual power plants. What we seek to do in VP3 is use the insights, the experience, the lessons learned from those companies and other companies around the country and around the world to understand how to grow the market for any kind of company who wants to participate in the VPP market. VPPs have already improved grid reliability in places like Germany and Australia. They're poised for explosive growth in the United States thanks to new or enlarged tax incentives for sustainable energy efforts in 2021's Inflation Reduction Act. A basketball jersey worn by NBA legend Kobe Bryant is expected to fetch up to $7 million at auction. The LA Lakers star wore it more than 25 times during the 2007-08 season. The jersey was also captured in an iconic photo showing Bryant screaming in excitement during Game 2 against the Denver Nuggets in the playoffs. The auction house Sotheby's is putting their jersey under the hammer. It says Bryant scored more than 600 points wearing it during the only MVP season in his career. If any bidder pays the predicted amount, that would be the second highest price ever paid for a basketball jersey. The only one that fetched more money is the jersey worn by Michael Jordan during the 1998 NBA Finals. Eventually, some movie will top the Avatar's sequel at the box office, right? Would it be this weekend? Here are the early estimates for the top five films in theaters. Gerard Butler's latest action movie, Plane, soared into the top five in its debut weekend on ticket sales of just over $10 million. The Tom Hanks dramedy, A Man Called Otto, stayed in fourth place with $12.7 million, while Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, pounced on $13.4 million, bringing its domestic box office total to over $110 million. I designed Megan to protect Katie from feeling lonely. AI fright flick Megan scared up $17.9 million in its second weekend in theaters, bringing its two-week total to $59.7 million. 
James Cameron's Avatar The Way of Water continues at number one for the fifth straight week, adding $31.1 million to its domestic box office total. A vineyard in South Africa is using an army of ducks to keep its crop pest-free. They say the ducks are easy to train. Take a look. Meet the staff at one vineyard in South Africa's winemaking town Stellenbosch. This army of around 500 Indian runner ducks has a taste for snails. And that's useful if you want to keep your vines pest-free. Corius Visser, managing director at the Vergenhuklau Wine Estate, says the ducks help the vineyard steer clear of pesticides and synthetic fertilizers. And this breed is especially suited to the job. They don't waddle like normal ducks. They walk. They are, they've got an upright um, posture. And their long necks actually helps them to eat the snails within the vineyards itself. When it's up there in between the leaves, they can reach that and they can eat them there. As well as natural pest control, the ducks also provide entertainment for tourists like Merle Holdsworth. It's amazing how they behave themselves, walk in the row, and it's like they're in the army or whatever. <laughs> yeah, no. Vissa says Indian runner ducks are very trainable and soon get into their routine. They know their way, he says, back to the paddocks each evening, where they get additional bird food. And after a day of feasting in the vineyard, there is one more benefit. Their nutrient-rich manure makes great fertilizer. Just another way for the estate to be as sustainable as possible. And that's all today from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. Thank you for watching, and we'll see you tomorrow.